Hello and welcome to this GCP short produced in collaboration with Marsh Captive Solutions and all about cyber. Now, cyber has emerged really as the most challenging line of insurance for corporates over the past couple of years, alongside obviously other professional lines as well that we have discussed previously. But cyber is coming up in conversation with regards to captives all the time. Over the next 15 minutes then, I'll be joined by Payal Patel, a Senior Vice President and Cyber Practice Leader for the Northeast at Marsh in America, and Mike Sericchio, a regular contributor on GCP and America's Sales and Advisory Leader at Marsh Captive Solutions. Mike and Payal discuss the states of the commercial market for cyber, the different roles and options captives are providing to corporates, why using a captive for cyber is not always the answer, and the response of underwriters when captives do contribute to a program. But first, Payal begins by providing some context on the state of the commercial market. Sure. So it's certainly been a roller coaster ride for our clients that have renewed within 2021 and 2022. And I think the market first started turning in December of 2020 um, due to just the rise in frequency and severity of ransomware claims and the effect that that had on insurers' books. In turn, we also have seen a change within the privacy regulatory landscape, which has changed the insurer loss profiles. And we've also seen a rise in media claims and managed service provider claims, which has certainly uh, shaped up the way insurers are providing coverage as well as pricing. I would say on average in January of 2021, we were seeing pricing increases somewhat of the 30 to 50% mark. And then it increased to around 75% in the summer. And now we are over 100% year over year, you know, in December of 2021 and Q1 of 2022. I would say that some of these increases are just based on the competitiveness of the, the insurance pricing prior to the change within the cyber landscape. And we've also seen an increase in just how many questions insurers are asking our clients because they are going through the details around claims and making sure that clients have the right controls to mitigate or at least reduce or prove resiliency through having a cyber event occur uh, within their networks and systems. The last thing I would say is I think the cyber market over the past 20 years since it's been available has been a pretty soft market for our clients. And in those 20 years, the product has really evolved from just a privacy product to a product that covers operational technology as well. And in the expansion of the product, as well as, you know, the lack of underwriting information we have been collecting over the last 20 years, you know, many would say that they could predict this or this was bound to happen. And in any case, I think the market is changing for the better for both clients and insurance companies, clients in terms of just making sure that there's a more robust cyber hygiene internally to defend against some of these attacks or mitigate them or even build a resiliency plan around them. And from the insurer side, they are certainly allowed to collect more information to price and create a more sustainable product for the future. So yeah, obviously a tough uh, insurance market and, and last two years out there, but really interesting those, those last comments in particular from Payal, Mike. What options does having a captive then provide in regards to cyber? How are you starting to see clients use their captives to increase capacity or, or improve the coverage? Sure, Richard. So we find that all industries, types and sizes of companies are using their captives for cyber risk in, in one way or another. And I think that it all really comes down to giving them that 
extra optionality and that extra flexibility in the market. So although a captive is no you know, major silver bullet or there's no magical capacity to be had, we find that they're able to pivot during renewals or, or right before a renewal where, whereby they've got to double or triple their retention or their capacity shrinks and they need to come over the top with using their captive to deploy at the excess layer. Maybe there's some terms, conditions, or excluded coverages that they're able to use their captive to fill in for. And that's where I think you're going to see a lot of the growth. That's where we've seen a lot of the growth with regard to captives and cyber to just have that extra bit of flexibility in the market and to be able to fill in those layers again, be able to use the captive over the top, um, maybe fund a much larger retention where they do see some losses recurring every year. They may want to have the ability to have some funding put aside. In rare instances, captives are, are reinsuring a fronting care but we are seeing that tick up a little bit. And that's where you would need locally admitted certificates of insurance globally, uh, or maybe for some certain contracts or terms and conditions, covenants. And that's another great way that a captive can kind of fill in and, and fill that void. And that's, I think, where we're going to see the growth you know, going forward in, in all these different areas as we see cyber being challenged. And as we see cyber similar to some of the other PNC lines over the last few years that have been really tough, it just gives clients and owners another option. Okay, so Payal, obviously Mike just discussed there about where we're starting to see the captive play a role. Obviously, you will have experienced programs where the captive has been kind of implemented into part of the program. How does the commercial market respond to the captive participating? Does that response depend on where the captive is playing or in the program and its, and its different role? Certainly depends on where the captive is playing its part in the program, for sure. So on a primary standpoint, right, we are extremely diligent about scrutinizing the policy terms and conditions. Uh, we want to see if the client is looking for reinsurance of that captive or they're simply going to take on the risk themselves. And then even from an excess standpoint, excess insurers will be extremely scrutinous on the terms and conditions they're following on a primary if that's issued through the captive. Um, and they'll want to make sure that from a financial standpoint, that the captive's financials are in line with what the insurer would want to accept. And they would also be very critical of any sort of TPA or claims adjuster that we insert to evaluate and remediate any sort of claims that occur in that layer. So those are really the three crucial aspects of what the insurers will look for. I think even from an excess standpoint, when we look at captives, um, and if we don't have the right claims adjustment process or a third party that's going to provide those services, some of the insurers may say that if it's a self-insured layer, that benefits the insured more than it benefits the insurer. And therefore, um, they have an issue with following that without the right protocols in place. And are there instances where a captive isn't the right solution to a challenging cyber renewal or, or placement? What are the considerations or, or reasons why an insured might opt against involving their captive. Sure, Richard. And this is an extremely volatile, sensitive, ever-changing, disruptive, and just really catastrophic and volatile type of risk. What you really need to do is you've really got to be careful about how you use your captive and how you think about using your captive for cyber. It's not your predictable workers' comp type losses or third-party extended warranty where you've got, you know, decades of history and loss history, and it's very predictable. This is a very catastrophic type of risk. And you really need to think long and hard about where and when you want to deploy your captive at what layer. Now, if you think about taking a retention at a million dollars, that's a lot different than taking a 25% quota share or putting $50 million of excess above your $200 million tower. And these are the things that you really need to think about. 
So you need to look at loss history. You need to look at data. You need to work with your brokers to figure out what's the smartest move and data analytics can help you with that. A lot of times you'll look at a um, cost benefit analysis of taking a layer, um, a ventilated layer, some uninsurable risks. But again, it's not always going to be the right tool. And a lot of times companies that put cyber into their captive are not doing it when they first set up their captive. They're waiting a couple of years. They're putting their more predictable, diversifying their business a bit, and then coming in when they need to with these more catastrophic type risks like quake, flood, you know, wind, excess, you know, and, and that's where cyber kind of fits in. You also need to look at the premium parameters. You also want to look at the capitalization and see if there's any perhaps gap stop reinsurance that might be available as well. So these are all the considerations you'd want to think about while you're also in the market. Yeah. So I think um, the cyber insurance marketplace is so volatile that if this is the number one risk that clients are, are technically or arguably facing within this market environment, why would we want to self-insure that type of exposure? That's the number one question. So sometimes we're seeing these price increases of over 100%, but insuring it is still more beneficial for clients because um, they're offsetting some volatile risk from their balance sheet. I would say that the second and biggest benefit probably that comes from insurance is really just the sophistication that some of these insurers have within the claims process, the access to readily available vendors, um, the negotiated rates with those vendors, the additional uh, services that they have to train clients on tabletop exercises around breach events or ransomware events. Those are all value adds that you wouldn't get without partnering with an insurer that's very skilled within the cyberspace. And I think that is something that clients should consider outside of just the realm of pricing capacity and retention, right, to think about purchasing cyber insurance. And what about then if the captive does um, lead on a program payout, does that mean it, it might miss out? The, the insurers, the client might miss out on some of those ancillary services or support services that the carriers have kind of put together panels of in, to support clients when they do have a breach or, or an incident? I think it would just take a lot to build around that within the captive, right? So there are certain websites or um, training programs and just accessible information and knowledge that the insurers can provide to clients to help build out some plans and processes internally. And then sure, the negotiated rates that they have with vendors, that's something that clients would have to do on their own. I don't know that it's impossible, but it certainly would be hard to mimic what some of these insurers have done for their clients because they're doing it at scale and therefore arguably the rates or just the access to services may be broader and deeper in, in bench strength. And presumably that problem or, or challenge only occurs if the captive is, is playing the primary role. If Obviously, if, if it's been a fronted program or the captive is playing higher up um, in, in a different layer, then they, the, the insured should still have access to the, the primary uh, insurer's kind of services on that front. Correct. And I think from an access standpoint, it's more a a call of who's adjusting the claim and how comfortable do the insurers above, sitting above the captive feel about you know the third party that is adjusting the claim. They want to make sure that that's not just solely on the insured because they feel that the insured may play you know into their own favor if adjusting that claim themselves. Yeah, thanks, Payal. Really good to, to have, have that insight. So Mike Marsh does a really good job uh, collecting a lot of data on its captive book and benchmarking the lines that, that captives are writing under your management. What is this data telling you about the, the take up of cyber in captives over the past two years? Sure, Richard. And just a quick note, in June of this year, we'll be releasing our next kind of landscape and benchmark, which is going to be right. a really interesting look back. But basically what we found is that cyber and captives by parent industry has really touched 
um, everybody from healthcare to financial institutions and retail, which are the top three, but you've got energy, power and utility, even not-for-profits, food and beverage, communications, media technology. So it just shows you that virtually all industries are using their captive for cyber. No surprise, North America and Europe are the sort of leaders followed by the rest of the world, Caribbean, LATAM, Australia, some Asia Pacific parent companies also are using their captive for cyber. But some of the numbers are really staggering. We've got 127% growth over five years in the number of captives writing cyber. In one year, the growth in number was up 13%. And we've got a little under $70 million in total cyber premium. And that's not even looking at the last year of captive formations, of which Marsh had about 200 captives in two years, which is which is staggering. So it just shows you that the growth is amazing. You've got larger captives, which we define as over $20 million in premium, writing the most amount of cyber, but you also see um, about 25% of captives that are writing cyber that have less than 5 million in gross premium. So it shows you that all shapes and sizes and types of companies are using it for those reasons and in a smart way. And one of the things I'm certainly looking out for is we've seen in other kind of non-traditional captive lines, such as uh, DNO and employee benefits in the last few years, that you're starting to see captives specifically set up for those lines of business. Are you starting to see instances where cyber has been the sole reason or, or, or primary driving force of, of forming a new captive? Great question, Richard. So yes, you know, sometimes with DNO or EB, you do see that being the sole reason. I do have to say that we haven't seen a lot of instances where you've seen captives being formed just for cyber. But I will tell you that in the last three to six months, we've been getting so many inquiries about the pain points in the market, cyber, what they can get, what they can't get, you know, what the terms and conditions are, the, the retentions are going up. So I do predict that we're going to see a lot more cyber-only monoline captives that then allow the company to put other risks into the captive. And even if a company came to us and said, we're having a problem with cyber, and we are working on one feasibility study right now with a uh, transportation group that their sole benefit is cyber. But what we'll also do is, is kind of dovetail into that and say, well, here's one or two other things you might want to do in addition to cyber to kind of balance it out and diversify it. So again, to answer your question. Not a lot just for cyber, but I think that will be changing in the next six months to a year. And then of course, companies will, will backfill and say, well, if I've got the captive ready for cyber, here's some other things I can do with it. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what we have seen on the DNO and employee benefits side. And I think at least one of those guests we had in the podcast in the last 18 months was a, a Marsh client on, on DNO, I think. And we've seen that on EB and DNO where they've the reason they set the captive up is to be almost monoline on those lines, but then almost from inception, they've realized straight away, well, we've got the captive now, we can put other things in there. Absolutely. Well, thank you to Payal Patel and Mike Sericchio at Marsh for that in-depth discussion on cyber. If you would like more information on our guests and Marsh Captive Solutions, then do visit globalcaptivepodcast.com. In the meantime, stay safe, stay well, and see you next time, captives.